I'm sorry about the inconsistent audio quality on this one, and you're listening to Jean-Luc and Me, Episode 5. I've written my next poem in honor of my cat. I call it Ode to Spot. Felis catus is your taxonomic nomenclature, an endothermic quadruped carnivorous by nature. Your visual, olfactory, and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skill and natural defenses. I find myself intrigued by your subvocal oscillations, a singular development of cat communications that obviates your basic hedonistic predilection for a rhythmic stroking of your fur to demonstrate affection. A tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents. You would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance. And when not being utilized to aid in locomotion, it often serves to illustrate the of your emotion. The complex levels of behavior you display connote a fairly well-developed cognitive array, and though you are not sentient and do not comprehend, I nonetheless consider you a true and valued friend. Today's episode, where no one has gone before. Oh, good for you! And how was it? Well, they did it. Uh, I guess I'll come right out of the gate and just say... On an Earl Grey scale, this is room temperature. I don't know if you want to consider that success or what, but um, it was a marked improvement from the first four episodes. So uh, let's start with Wesley. This is the first time Wesley has worked at all. It's the first time his age has played. They kept trying to play him a lot. Uh, younger than was believable. And it actually works in this episode. He's sort of that not quite a teenager, but not a kid anymore, like uh, Will Wheaton actually was at the time. His intelligence, or super intelligence, or genius, or whatever you want to call it, finally plays. It's not weird, geeky, making a voice modulator that sounds like Captain Picard shit. Like, he is believably thinking about things at a higher level uh, than most people, rather than just being like a gadget guy, which is almost how he'd been portrayed up till now. I like that they were discussing the possibility of staying to explore in Universe M33. I was hoping they would. They did. That's a conversation that should happen in that show, and I was worried they would ignore it. I shouldn't have been. They were smart enough to know that that should have been brought up and discussed by the crew. Good. This is a relatively simple episode. There's not a lot going on, as is the case with so many of these episodes, it seems. And so this episode succeeds largely on the performance of Kaczynski, I think he was, the, the scientist guy, the arrogance, the empty arrogance. He was really enjoyable. Uh, Johnny Frakes has uh, an, an X factor. Johnny Frakes has a sort of ineffable charisma that shines through, uh, and it has to shine through a lot. There's a lot in the way of what should be Johnny Frakes' shine. Mediocre scripts, abysmal pacing, really, really, really low-tension directing and shooting style. But somehow, throughout it all, his inner energy shines through. And it helps. Every scene he's in, it helps. 
I would say that the distrust of the scientist, the immediate, the literally immediate distrust of the scientist, within the first two seconds of the episode, there's distrust of the scientist for seemingly no reason other than that there is some tension in the early parts. I would say that that was uh, hacky and lazy and out of place, but they have established that Riker is, I don't want to say paranoid, so I'll just say obsessed with uh, protecting his captain and safety and things, and so it mostly played to me. I thought the visualization of Galaxy M33 and the extra warp barrier travel looked really pretty, really got across the grandeur and the otherness of what was going on there. Thought space I liked a little less, but I'll get into that more uh, in the next section. <laughs> was the cat cheeses? It was the cat. There were plenty of things not wrong. There weren't plenty of things wrong with this episode, but there are plenty of things I have to complain about in this episode. Firstly, and foremost, another fucking godlike creature. What the fuck? We're five episodes in. I think four of the episodes have involved godlike creatures. What the shit? I praised it in the pilot. I'm fucking over it. Stop it. Let's deal with some real people-level people. Alright? I still don't know anything about the fucking crew. They seemed to try to rectify that this time, but we didn't learn anything new about Tasha. We got a visualization for the rape gangs, but uh, I think I actually would have preferred not getting that and just allowing it to be in the theater of the mind. It's always more terrible when you let the audience imagine it. The Targ, Worf's Targ from when he was growing up? I'm sorry, did his parents fucking import a Targ to Russia? His human parents? Maybe I'm misunderstanding his background. I don't know the minutiae of a lot of stuff that gets detailed in Next Gen, so maybe I'm wrong about that, but that was strange and not really helpful. We know you're Klingon, bruh. We know you're Klingon, okay? It's been five episodes, you've said you're Klingon three times, and that's all we've fucking gotten from you. I need more. The thought space, in general, did not work for me. It did not work for me visually, and it did not work for me as a concept. As soon as Wesley said, time and space and thought are not disconnected like everyone thinks, and the Traveler looked at him like he was a fucking genius, I kind of moaned a little bit. It's... It is the perfect example of the sort of pseudo-scientific, pseudo-philosophical uh, leaning that this show seems to have for really no reason. That must be why there's always gods and stuff, even in 66. Because it's not necessarily just about science. It's about spirituality, too. For a show that is supposedly so secular, uh, supposedly Roddenberry insisted that everyone in the future was atheist and that there were no religions to the point where people were mad when the Bajoran religion was given a front seat in Deep Space Nine 
there is an awful lot of new agey, heal you with crystals bullshit. And I would say that the thought space, for lack of a better term, is a pretty egregious example of that. It's not great, not ideal. The space itself didn't look good. The idea of people's thoughts becoming reality and then having the fucking, if you believe in fairies, clap and save Tinkerbell's life at the end to get home was corny. It was corny. Too corny. I understand this is Star Trek. That was too corny, which really leads me to my biggest complaint. And it is a similar complaint uh, to one I have had about every episode thus far. Star Trek The Next Generation commits the cardinal sin of moving picture narratives. Worse than being bad, worse even than being offensive. Star Trek The Next Generation episodes are, or have been so far, boring. They're boring. They lack any sizzle. They lack any drive. Star Trek 66, for all its flaws, and there were plenty, was big. It was fun. It was sexy. It was filmed in 1966. The episodes were, what, 55 minutes long or something? And they were still paced more tightly than this shit. How do you let that happen? How do you turn a fucking a swashbuckle adventure in space into something that feels like a video catalog for Ikea or something? It's so bland. Let me break down, let me break down the story of this episode for you. Real quick. A scientist comes on board with an alien sidekick. The sidekick has powers and takes them across several galaxies to the point they'll never be able to get home. But he's exhausted, seems like he might be dying. They're not sure he'll be able to get them home. They all think really hard, and he does, potentially sacrificing himself in the process. If that seems like it could have taken ten minutes, that's because it fucking could have. There was so little to this, as I know I said that it was room temperature on the Earl Grey scale. And I really do, I stick by that, because the characters are starting to fall into place, the performances are starting to fall into place, the tone is starting to fall into place, and I really liked the, the guest star scientist guy, he was really fun. But ultimately, there was so little here to fill 43, 44 minutes, whatever it is. There were really no twists and turns there were no point of no returns. There were no hard decisions or wrong decisions or poetic consequences. No shocks, no reveals, not really. There was no driving force or structure to this episode at all. They got sent far away. The dude who sent them that far wasn't feeling well, but he managed to get them back anyway. That's the whole fucking plot of the episode. And it's not enough. It's not enough to keep me interested for 44 minutes. And once again, this is not 2018 talking. 
I really enjoy a lot of television from a lot further back than Star Trek The Next Generation. I've been watching Mission Impossible lately, and that shit holds up to me. This shit is from over 20 years later, and it doesn't hold up. It, it just doesn't. I don't know why everything is so low tension, low energy, low stakes. Why the plotting is so almost non-existent. Why the characters are so almost non-existent. I am waiting for this to become a show. That's kind of how I feel right now. I, I keep thinking to myself, well, the characters and the plots will show up eventually. I'm only six hours into this fucking series. Somebody needs to get on top of the situation and fix it! So, my first thought uh, was that this episode lacked an actual antagonist. It lacked uh, an enemy, and that's one of the reasons it lacked tension. And then my first thought after that was that I could turn the scientist guy heel. Uh, halfway through the episode. The idea being that he would have been driven a little mad by the knowledge that he wasn't as smart as he thought he was, but I very quickly abandoned that, and I abandoned it for a couple reasons. Um, one is, of course, Gene Roddenberry's dictum that Starfleet and or Federation people not have problems with each other. I don't agree with that dictum, Certainly, and I might have done it anyway, uh, except that I also had the added reasoning that I just really liked the character as is, and I didn't want to change him as much as it would take for him to turn heel halfway through. So, here's my new idea. It starts pretty much the same, but it moves a little quicker because we're going to have more stuff on the back end. The first jump out into galaxy 33 or whatever that works pretty much the same they try to do it again wesley's trying to tell them that it is the assistant and not the scientist and they won't listen to him this all pretty much works the same except that when the traveler gets fucked up doing the second jump they don't go to thought space i don't like thought space it doesn't work for me i don't need to see picard's french ass mom that's not what I'm here for, and most importantly, it's not really a credible danger. It's a little kitty, you know? And so, here's what I'm thinking. They get flung pretty much to the edge of the universe the first time. The second time, he goes too far the other direction, and they are so close to the black hole at the center of the universe, they're in danger of being sucked in. Uh, very quickly, and it's starting to have strange spaghettification effects on the ship. Just the beginnings of spaghettification. It's not, obviously we don't have the budget to like CGI everybody turning into infinitely long, infinitely thin tubes and all that, so. But it's, it's messing things up. It's messing with the ship. Even before they end up getting sucked into the black hole, the Enterprise will cease functioning from all the stresses on it, so they have even less time than it seems. Wesley still has the relationship with the assistant, with the traveler, and he gets up and he's feeling not fully better, but he goes to attempt it anyway. You don't need the thoughts of the people, the thoughts of the crew in this one, because that's not how it works. The traveler's just going to try again. He does the whole thing where he tells the scientist guy, like, no, I could really use your help on these controls, and the scientist guy's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not useless and terrible. 
But then it's not working. And it becomes obvious it's not working. And in the middle of it not working, the scientist guy gets up and leaves. And maybe it looks like like he's just butthurt or uh, scared or depressed or whatever. And eventually the traveler is even sicker than before. He's like phasing in and out. You can almost see through most of the time. And he starts telling Wesley about how special Wesley is and about how Wesley is more powerful than he knows and that he shouldn't be telling him this. But he thinks Wesley could get the ship home if he was fully able to tap into his powers. But the issue is, the ship is going to be destroyed. Like, really soon. Too soon for Wesley to do anything about it, even if he knew what to do. The Traveler is trying to convince him that it doesn't matter how much time you have, because reality is at least partially an illusion and blah blah blah, but everybody else is pretty much saying their goodbyes. You get something kind of awkwardly romantic, maybe, between Jean-Luc and... Beverly, you maybe get a little nod toward however Will and Deanna know each other from the past. You remember they, like, House and Cuddy slept together or something previously? I don't know. But then, when everybody least expects it, Jordy's like, Boo-doo-doop, uh, Captain, there's a shuttle missing. Like, what the hell? And it ends up the scientist guy took out a shuttle to sacrifice himself in some sort of technobabble science bomb that will either push them away from the black hole or put up a sort of temporary barrier between them and the black hole buying them time and he gets to talk to uh, Picard and Will Riker on the intercom and say that he you know he'd always been a fool he'd always been an idiot and this is his chance to really do something really help someone and you know you don't have to do this and he blows himself up anyway uh, and it's it's glorious it's the end he should have and it gives us another action beat it gives us another story beat so the more happens in this episode Wesley now has the time to do it but doesn't know how the traveler says that with the last of his energy he can sort of use his control on Wesley's powers. So the Traveler himself doesn't have the energy or the power inside himself anymore to do it, but he can help channel the innate Traveler energy that Wesley has. And they hold hands, and you get a bunch of close-ups on the hand, and Wesley's like, I can feel it! I can feel it! And it's really amazing. They manage to send the ship all the way back, and as they arrive, you get the close-up of the hand but the Traveler's hand disappears, and Wesley's light closes on nothing, and he starts to, like, tear up a little. And everybody's excited they got home. Picard goes down to the med bay to try to figure out what the hell happened. You get just a quick shot, Wesley crying over the the medical bed, and Beverly looking back at Picard and, like, looking sad and shaking her head. And then final commercials. And then you get the little tag, which is... Wesley in his room trying to get the Traveler powers to work. And he can't. Because he has no idea how to tap into them at all. And the Traveler is gone, maybe dead? In order to cheer him up, Picard's like, well, come to the bridge and you can sit on Khan. 
And he goes, But Captain, you told me I wasn't allowed to be on the bridge. Only only uh, Starfleet officers can be on the bridge. You know, not, not fishing at all, just genuinely being confused and maybe a little bit like, I'll be fine, I don't need your help. And Picard goes, Well, then I suppose I'll just have to make you an ensign. That's how that happens. So you do get that in at the end, and you show he doesn't still have traveler powers, which is important. And that is an episode with more going on, uh, higher levels of, of tension, less thought space, which I disliked, and that could take it from room temperature to lukewarm, maybe, you know? That's what I'd like. Uh, anyway... This is the first episode I haven't actively disliked. So let's try to keep that up, because I will see you next time. Scottish chief engineer. Hmm, where have I heard that one before? Fucking Argyle. His name's Argyle. Come on.